Good morning. Good to be with you today as I stand here. I'm reminded of uh, the last time I was here, and that was for a wedding. And that was, goodness, probably 15 years ago, maybe, give or take. Goodness gracious. It's been a while. It's been my joy here this morning to be able to walk around the room and greet a number of you. And I wish I would have gotten to more of you. If I didn't get to you, it's not because I didn't care about you. Um, Hopefully I'll get to do that uh, after the service today. Join me, if you would, in the book of Luke, chapter 1. We have the privilege today of looking at a couple of, uh, well, actually, we're not going to look at all of them today, but there are a number of songs that are related to us. Uh, we got Zechariah, we've got uh, Elizabeth, we've got Mary, we've got the uh, the heavenly hosts. Today we're going to take a look at Mary. And uh, as we were singing this morning, as I was sitting and listening to the children sing, I was reminded uh, of, of the fact that uh, she is a very central character in the entire Christmas story. And uh, as we look at her, as we, as we look at what she has to share here, uh, I hope that we can understand what it is that God is trying to relate to us where we're at today. We struggle with a lot of things in life. We deal with life. We deal with the ups, the downs, the traumas, the unexpected. And uh, is, life is full of unexpected, is it not? By the way, I am a very interactive kind of a guy. Uh, so if I ask you a question, I expect an answer. All right, And I also have a great sense of humor, so I hope you'll bear with me as I work my way through this message today. Uh, this last week was, uh, was, a, was a normal week for me and uh, was progressing quite well. I, I had a, a, a meeting down at uh, Continental Baptist Mission on Friday morning, so I drove down uh, Thursday night, got down there and uh, spent the night, and then the next morning I uh, had my meeting. And then after the meeting, I got my, uh, my truck and I headed north on US-131 to go home. It's about a two-hour drive, and I was about uh, about halfway home. And uh, I, I have to tell you this. I, I don't, if, if there's anybody here who knows me, you, you are aware of the fact that I love snow. Somebody commented, was it Paul, I think, this morning, commented about the snow up, up north. And yes, we have lots of snow. Uh, I think in our area, just in our locality, is about 16 or 17 inches that are on the ground right now. Snowmobilers were just loving it this weekend. But uh, Friday I'm headed home, and uh, you got to understand, uh, my truck, uh, it's a, a GMC, excuse me, it was a GMC Duramax. Uh, that, is a, that is a powerful uh, instrument. And I'm headed north, and I'm just south of Cadillac. And I'm driving along, and, and uh, I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, but my truck went squirrely. The tail wanted to go faster than the nose. And uh, it fishtailed to the left, it fishtailed to the right, it fishtailed to the left again. And at that point, I'm headed for the ditch. And as I entered the the ditch, I thought to myself, this is not good. (laughs) It wasn't. Uh, The nose of my truck, there was an embankment on the other side of the ditch. The nose of my truck hit that. And uh, at that point, I'm sideways headed north. And uh, I, I thought, Lord, and it's, inst- it's amazing what the, uh, the instrument that God has given us in our heads, how fast it can react and how fast it thinks. Because my mind was processing everything that was happening as it was happening. And I thought to myself, okay, we're going to roll. So I took my hands off the wheel and, and I picked my feet up off the floor. 
Uh, I'm a pilot, and that was one of the things that I was taught in my pilot training. Uh, if at some point on, on takeoff uh, your plane stalls and you're going to impact the ground, lift your feet up and, and tuck your arms. That's exactly what I did. And the truck rolled. This is Friday, this past Friday. And I remember very distinctly everything that happened. I, I, I remember seeing the things floating around in the air inside the cab. Uh, most of the windows busted out as, as the thing rolled. And uh, I, I remember uh, snow coming in, and I'm wondering, where did the snow come from? And I ended up laying on the driver's side. My truck is up on its side. And I'm laying there. I did have my seatbelt on. I did have it on. Uh, and I'm one of those that does wear a seatbelt. And I, I, I thought, okay, now what do I do? Uh, it happened to be a swampy ditch. The, the cattails were inside the cab, muck everywhere, and water. There, there must have been about that much water down at, on, on my shoulder here. So I, I'm sitting there in my seat, and uh, I, I just, of all things, I reached up, I put it in park. I'm a creature of habit. I put her in park, turned it off, pulled the key, and put it in my pocket. Then I disengaged the seatbelt, and at that point, there's the water. And uh, I finally got myself extricated a bit. Now, you can understand that it's now a little bit shorter inside the cab because the roof has come down. Uh, all but the, the left rear passenger side window is, is busted and busted out, except for the, the, the windshield is crushed in. And I stood up on my door. At this point, some people who had stopped were at the back of the truck. And uh, they were, are you okay? How many of you are in there? And there happened to be an EMT who was off-duty, who came in through the back, and it was very easy to do now, came through the back window. (laughs) And he reached around, he grabbed a hold of me. And I'm standing there minding my own business, mind you. He grabs a hold of my neck, and he just starts feeling my neck, and he pulls me back against the seat. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is hurting more than the accident. (laughs) Oh. Long story short, I got myself out of the truck and uh, got back up on the side of the road and I looked back at my truck and I thought, God, you are a good God. You're an awesome God. Uh, I do need to tell you this too. When I, after everything has stopped, I'm still in there, I just put it in park and I just pulled my keys and stuck it in my pocket. Before I disengaged this seatbelt, I looked to my left. And when I'm driving a long distance, I'll take my wallet out of my pocket And I stuck it down in the the console there. And uh, when I looked to my left, oh, and I had my Carhartt uh, stocking cap on. Well, it wasn't there anymore. It was laying there on the ground. And on top of that is my wallet, my cell phone, my glasses. And uh, I'm a diabetic, and I I take insulin in the morning once a day. The little, little... little uh, suitcase thing for that were all in a neat little pile right there on my hat. And I'm thinking, Lord, you're awesome. (laughs) Of all the things that were in the truck, 
those were the important things that I needed to have with me. So I just picked them up, stuck them in my coat pockets before the EMT guy got there, and then exited the vehicle. We have an awesome God, don't we? He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows exactly the circumstances. He knows all of the details. So in here in Luke chapter 1, as I'm looking at the account, and you and I have the benefit of looking back at the story. From, from the earliest years, we were singing the Christmas songs. We know the story of Christmas. But I want you to understand that as these events are unfolding here in Luke chapter 1, there is a generation of people who do not have any idea who's coming. They have no understanding of the Messiah. They do not understand their own historical context. That's the majority of the people. But there were some who did know. I think of Simeon as an example. Simeon was anticipating. He was looking for the birth of the Messiah. And of course, here in Luke chapter 1, we already know, and I'm going to be down here in verses uh, 46 and following, we already know from the first part of this chapter that the angels have come and they've revealed themselves uh, to Mary and to Joseph. They are aware of what's happening. They know the circumstances. We know that Elizabeth and Zechariah know what's happening. Because John... The Immerser, I call him John the Immerser. John the Immerser is there in Elizabeth's womb. And just prior to verse 46, we have Elizabeth's song. In which Mary shows up, she comes to visit, which was a part of the custom of the day. She comes to visit, and you'll see here in the latter part of this text that I'm using today in verse 56, she spent three months with Elizabeth. But if you go back in the text, you'll see in verse 39, it says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a, a, an understanding of who this is. I'm talking about Mary. But more importantly, there was an understanding of who was in Mary's womb. Namely, our Savior Jesus Christ. And John. John leapt for joy. <laughs> now I've often wondered, now again, here's my sanctified imagination. I've often wondered, wondered, Mary was there for three months. I wonder if John behaved himself for those three months. I don't know. But we also know as we get into the book of John, in the, the first chapter there, you'll see there as John is ministering in verse 29, he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And he tells those who are gathered, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. A little bit later on, you find in the same gospel account that John, having been asked the question, and you can understand humanity, we can understand the, the mindset of people because it hasn't really changed a whole lot. Because Jesus is now ministering and so is John. And there are those who are questioning John about, hey, this guy, he's, he's drawing more people now than you are. What do you think of that? Remember what John responded? He must increase. And I must decrease. You see, John had the proper perspective from the very beginning. 
even as he was in Elizabeth's womb. We get down into verse number 46, and we we have the account of Mary's song. In in fact, I've entitled my message here this morning, Look What God Has Done! Exclamation point. Look what God has done. Because Mary, following Elizabeth's interchange or inter, uh, interrelationship there as they were talking and Elizabeth had shared, we have verse 46 and he says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. One of the things that I want us to understand today as we look at this text, as we begin to understand what's happening in Mary's mind in in her life and in her perspective, that it is contradictory to many of the things that some people today would like to attribute to Mary. The first thing that I notice here is, is what God did for Mary in these few verses here, verses 46 through 49. What God did for Mary. And the first thing you'll see here is in verse number 47 where she says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You see, the first thing that happened, the first thing that God did for Mary is that God saved her. Now, I I trust that, uh, I, I don't know... At least I don't think I know anybody here. Um, And I really don't know what your your background is. But I'm going to make an assumption here that you understand the story that's unfolding. But I can't make that assumption, can I? The first thing that God does is that he saved her. You see, in the Old Testament times, which this still is at this point in time, people were saved just like you and I are saved today. In fact, the book of Galatians, Paul tells us there that that Abraham's faith was counted for what? Righteousness. How was it that Abraham was saved? How was it that David was saved? By looking forward to the event that's about to take place or begin to take place in the birth of Christ. So as I look at the text here in verse number 47, the first thing that I see that God did for Mary is that he saved her. She is a redeemed individual uh, according to everything that we understand, according to everything that the New Testament reveals to us. She is an individual who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Now the second thing that I notice here, oh, before I go further with that, I do need to explain that just a hair, don't I? That starts over in the book of of, uh, Romans chapter 3, in which we find these words, And for what if some did not believe? Starting in verse number 3. Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome what you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I'm speaking as a man, he says. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. 
As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, friends, as Paul is describing that there in Romans chapter 3, he's, he's sharing with us the condition of the pagan unsaved. But fortunately, he's not done there. You get down to chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand, as Mary is, is relating here that this is her God, that she is redeemed, that she's a part of the family of God, we know how she did that, how that came about. But there are many people today who Paul is describing here who do not understand what Christmas is all about. They do not understand their, their unsaved, unredeemed condition. Romans 3.23, we all miss the mark. We all come short. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, There's, Nor is there salvation in any other. Right? Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Right? There is only one way. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. Thus the reason for where we are in Luke chapter 1. So first of all, we saw that God saved her. And secondly, in verse 48, we see that he chose her. Notice in verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. God chose her. Before the foundations of the world, God chose her. Now, I wish I could explain that to you. And if I had an understanding of what that meant, I would. But I don't think there's a man alive today that can understand the infinite thought that God has put into this. Yes, I understand. Yes, God chose me before the foundations of the earth. Yes, I understand that, that, uh, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that even before I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. God chose her. What an incredibly fortunate thing to have happen. That he not only chose her, but he chose me. May I say something here in regard to verse 48? And it's, it's this. He's, she says, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. This is not deification, folks. She is not a part of the Godhead. She is a human being just like you and I. She's a human being who needed redemption just like you and I. Thus the words as we see them here in verses 47 and 48. Again, verse 48, the first part, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She knew that. I read the text as, as uh, that last phrase, for behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Perhaps we should pronounce that word blessed. Does it not sound better that way? More accurate? That she, among all women of that day, was the one whom God chose to be the mother of Christ. That is a blessing. That does not make her God. There are many today who think she is. Or something more than 
who you and I are today. Verse 49, it says here in the text, For he is mighty and has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God has done some mighty things in her life. Namely, at this point in time, having this child. And I'm reminded of another account that is found back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. That's the story of Hannah. Remember Hannah? Hannah was a woman who was getting on in years who who did not have any children. And she cried out to the Lord and, and, and she was talking about the fact and culturally in that day, if you didn't have a child, especially a man child... There was something wrong with you. There there, there was a curse upon you. God was not blessing you, was the mindset of the day. She cried out to the Lord, and and God answered that prayer and provided her with a man-child. And his name was? Samuel. Samuel. A man whom God would use in a dynamic way in the history of Israel. A man who would take that Nazarite vow. In fact, Hannah promised the Lord that that would be the case. That he would be hers. I'm not a mom. I don't have the maternal instincts that mothers do. But my understanding is that that moms are like mama bears. They're protective of their young. They'll do anything for their young. Provide for their young. Defend their young. I think of of Hannah. I think of Mary. I think of my wife. Two boys. Two boys. Let me tell you about my boys. We had Brian. I think it was about a year and a half, two years after we were married. We had Brian. What a wonderful kid. Slept through the night almost from day one. Potty trained at six months. Well, that's my recollection anyway. I mean, this was an incredible kid. Four years, almost four years later, we, we decided, you know, while things are going so good, we ought to have another one. God has a sense of humor. Redhead. I mean, even before he was born, he was causing trouble. Two wonderful boys God has used. That redhead, he was one of those kids as he was growing up, this one's either going to be a preacher or he's going to go to jail. He's the associate pastor over at First Baptist in Carroll today. Praise God. You know, God is, is, is wonderful in providing us with, with the blessings of children. Now, I'm a dad and I'm a grandpa. And I have, I've shared with congregations over the years, you know, if there was a fire, if there was some kind of disaster that were to happen in this room, I would do everything in my power to, to help you to get out of this room. With one exception. As my boys were young, they're the first ones I was going to get out of the room. But I'll come back. And then my grandkids showed up, and I never dreamed it. You know, there's a reason why we don't kill our kids. Grandchildren. They are wonderful. And I have three of the the most beautiful, well-behaved grandkids you've ever wanted to meet. If they were in the room, 
I'm getting them out first. But I will come back. You know, there's a maternal and paternal instinct that we all have. Mary's was the same. And God had done some mighty things in her life. Think back just to the first part of this chapter. She had divine revelation of what was about to transpire. Now, I have no idea what that's like. I've never had an angel, at least to my knowledge, I've never had an angel appear to me. I've never had a conversation with an angel other than my wife. I've never had a conversation with an angel that I'm aware of. But on that day, the angel came, had a conversation. The kids this morning, they were, they were singing about chapter 2. And another appearance of the angels, the hosts of heaven. That's one of the songs that we find reflected here. You see, God wants to make sure that we understand what's transpiring here. No mistakes. This is the Messiah. This is my chosen one. At his, at his baptism, at Jesus' baptism, God reveals himself again. And that voice from heaven says, this is my son, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. At Jesus' transfiguration, a voice spoke again and said the same thing. In fact, I think he expounded it just a little bit further. He said, follow him. Listen to him. We need to listen. We need to listen to what it is God has to share with us. What God has done for Mary and what God has done for us. You see in verse number 50, he says, And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength for his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. In verse 50, I find there that, that, uh, that God has, has, what God has done for me has made me a recipient of his mercy. A recipient of his mercy. And his mercy is on those who fear him. If you know Christ today, you're experiencing that mercy. You have experienced it and you will continue. In verses 51 to 53, you see the extent of that mercy. In that he helps the helpless, he deals with the humble, and he works with the hungry. Did you notice the contrast? God oftentimes gives us a contrast as he explains those kinds of things. In verse number 51, he says this. He says, he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's talking about the, the, the humble. He's talking about, excuse me, he's talking about the helpless. He's talking about the humble in verse 52. He's talking about the helpless here. The strength of his arm. Oftentimes when God talks about his strong arm, he's talking about that which he uses to, to, to encourage and to protect and to provide. Friday morning, actually Friday noon, God's arms were around me. Because I tell you what, that should have been a whole lot worse than it was. I got a little bit of a bruise on the back of my elbow here. And a little cut right there from flying glass. And I think I saw in the mirror a couple more little things up here. Not horns. But God was protecting me that day. His strong arm was around me. He helps the helpless. And I'll tell you what, at that moment in time, I felt totally and absolutely helpless. And you know, that's tough. That's tough for a male. 
It's tough for a Marine to have that happen. Totally helpless. And God's in control. The second thing in verse 52, the humble. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. That word lowly is a word that we we often find translated humble. The contrast here is that God is, is he's dealing with these who he calls the mighty uh, in verse 52. He's put down the mighty from their thrones, those who have exalted themselves and exalted the lowly. What is it James says? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and what? He will lift you up. He will lift you up. Now, in this world, in our culture, just as in the culture that we find the New Testament in, that is an alien thing. That is, that is something to be shunned. Humility. In our culture today, just as in this culture, admiration is for those who have, who have achieved success, for those who have, who have elevated themselves above the rest. And God says, uh-uh. I exalt the humble. Now, real quick, and this is a message for another day, but the idea that the, that the humble people are weak is not an equality. Humility is just simply strength under control. Strength under control. Third, the hungry, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Did you enjoy Thanksgiving? Oh my goodness gracious. Thanksgiving is in Christmas, uh, as far as dinners are concerned. In my family, we ate. And you probably yours too. Thanksgiving comes, you got, you got Thanksgiving turkey and dressing, and baked beans and mashed potatoes. I think there's some other healthy stuff there on the table, but those are the things that I notice. And then, and then after you get that done, and in my family, we usually took about a, a, an hour and a half to two hours before we, we partake, partook of the desserts. Pumpkin pie, blueberry pie, cherry pie, mincemeat pie. Anybody know what mincemeat pie is? Oh, is that good stuff? Oh, yeah. And we would have this, I mean, this was a feast. And, and it's God is just, as Mary is describing here, he says, he has filled the hungry with good things. God is satisfying my hunger in ways that I never dreamed possible. And one of the, the contrasts or one of the things that, that is just, it, it's difficult to wrap our minds around is the fact that as we feed on the Lord, as we feed on the, on the word of God, it does two things. It satisfies and it also creates hunger. Now, that just doesn't make sense, does it? The more we eat, the hungrier we get. And I've discovered that to be true with the Word of God. The hunger that I have to read, to to learn, and to grow from continues to grow as I consume it. The last thing I want to share with you is this, and it's in verses 54 through 56. He says, "He He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. In verses 54 and 55, I see here the but God principle. Are you familiar with this one? The but God principle. Uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
verse 26 and following, he says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The but God principle... What, what God does is he paints this picture of all these different things. And in this particular passage, he's talking about the weak thing, the foolish things, the things that are not. And that's exactly who I was before Christ. I was those things. I was the strong. I was the mighty. And all the things that, that are part of that description there, that's who I was. And that's who you were. What boggles my mind is that God has chosen Me, as the weak vessel, as the one, you don't know me, but I have to tell you, I went to Michigan Tech to be a metallurgical engineer. I fought God in the call to ministry. I argued with him for years. I, I, I was just like, uh, I was just like Moses. God, I'm not a public speaker. God, I, I, I'm terrified to get up in front of a group of people. Lord, you need to understand something here. Now, I understand the fallacy of my arguments. You've got to understand something here, God. I'm an introvert. You know what an introvert is, right? Bashful. I don't like interacting with people. I don't want to have conversations with people. I just want to do my job and go home. That's it. But yet, God, I want you. I'm putting you in ministry. And you know the wonderful thing about all of that? If God has called, God enables. When God calls, he enables. (laughs) I can't explain it. If you saw me here this morning, again, I don't know you folks, and you don't know me. But the first thing I do when I get into a congregation is I'm moving around the room and I'm greeting people, shaking hands, hearing about the the organ recital or whatever else happens to be going on. Hey, I met somebody today that's from the ugly area. The Hagans, Carl Hagan back there. I pastored over in Cass City, which is just a stone's throw out of ugly. Most of you probably don't know where ugly is, do you? Well, it's just a little berg. God's wonderful. The but God principle. God enables us to do the work of the ministry. God enables Mary to accomplish the tasks that are before her. He enabled Elizabeth. He enabled Zechariah. He enabled Simeon to be anticipating what's about to transpire. And think about this. He took 12 ordinary men. And through their ministry, subsequent to Pentecost, they turned this world on its ear. Twelve ordinary people. 
As I'm driving down today, I was thinking, in, in fact, my wife will tell you this, I, I oftentimes will sing while I'm driving or working on something or whatever it happens to be. And she will tell you this too. Honey, do you know how many different songs you sang? You didn't finish the first one. You just started on the second one. And I said, dear, that's just because I can't remember the words. So I just move into the next one. On the way down this morning, and I couldn't remember all the words of this one either, but I was singing the song over and over again, the first part of the song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy... All right, I don't remember the rest of it, but that's okay. (laughs) And I think about the theology of that song. Think about this. When, uh, what's his name? Who, Who wrote that song? Mark Lowry. When Mark wrote that song, I wonder if he thought about the theology of that question. Mary, did you know? Yes, she did. The angels have already told her. She knows. But it is a wonderful song. It's the story of Christmas. So in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, as I think of my neighbors, as I think of my family, you see, my parents and my in-laws are both unsaved. We both come from pagan families, first-generation Christians. I wonder if they'll ever know. Dad, will you ever know who Jesus is? Mom, will you ever know? A number of years ago, I forget what year, it was 86 or 87, somewhere in that ballpark, my grandfather was struggling with cancer. The end of his life was approaching. They lived in Florida, and uh, just two stone throws from their house was a one of our churches, one of the Garb churches. And uh, the pastor called on him. I get this phone call that night. It was my grandmother. And she says, Jimmy. By the way, my grandma's the only one who calls me Jimmy. Jimmy, Grandpa wants to talk to you. So Grandpa came on the line, and his weak voice, he shared with me, Jimmy, I trusted Christ tonight. And I bawled. I was so moved to know that one day I'm going to see my grandpa again. Mary, did you know? She did. She knew what was to transpire. She knew that this was the Savior of the world. That he was coming with one purpose, one objective. To redeem humanity. Now, wherever I have been, wherever I have spoken, I have never made the assumption that everyone in the room knows Christ. And it may be that today everybody here does know Christ, for which I praise God. But you may be here this morning, and Christmas is just another holiday, another day off from work, a day to get presents, a day to eat. But I want you to know, Christmas is the birthday of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ, who came with one express purpose, and that was to go to the cross of Calvary, to redeem the souls of men, 
who would trust him as Savior. You know, as much as I would love to be able to grab a hold of my dad and grab a hold of my mom and take him to heaven with me, I can't. I can't. But I can witness. I can share. And I can continue to be faithful to the message of why Jesus came. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is this gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus says, chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us. You see, there's nothing I can do to get to, get to heaven. There's, there's nothing that I can't do. You understand what I mean? By, be, by living a good life that's going to get me into heaven. It's only by crying out to God and saying, God, I'm a sinner and I need Christ. I accept what he did for me on the cross. And trust you as Savior. Pastor, is it that simple? Do you know that God made it that simple so that these children that were up here on the platform could understand it? If they can understand it, what's what's our excuse? We've made it so complicated. And yet it's so simple. God loves us. He's made the way. We need to accept it. Amen? Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. It's one of those times of the year when we have the opportunity to be a witness for Christ. And most of the world is willing to listen, regardless of what the media is saying. Most of them are willing to listen, Christmas time and Easter time. We need to be about the business. You know that latter part there of what God did for Israel? We didn't dig into that. How God provided for Israel. Go back to to Hannah's story again, her song, and the provision of Samuel, who would help the people of Israel through all of those those, uh, times of oppression during the judges, who would come to that place in life where the people of Israel are crying out to God, we want a king just like everybody else. And how God explained to them, you understand what this means. I remember as as this is all unfolding, God gave words of encouragement to Samuel. Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And that's what the world has done. Rejected Christ. And we are the light in the darkness. We are the, the opportunity to be used of God as we yield ourselves to him. Remember what I said just a little while ago? Where God calls, he enables Pastor, I don't know what to say. Trust him. He'll give you something to say. If nothing else, just simply share with them the testimony. Because every one of us here who are are a part of the family of God today, we have a testimony. We have a testimony that we can share that is unique to you. No one else has it. Tell them what God has done for you. That's the greatest gift of all. The gift of Christ. Father, I thank you this morning for the privilege of being able to share with these dear friends. Lord, it is amazing that no matter where we go, we find your people. A people who love you, who care about you, who are faithful.
And I, God, I pray that this congregation, at this station in its life, would recognize that even without a shepherd on site, that the mission moves forward, that there's a job to do, that there's a goal to be reached. So God, help us, the helpless, the humble, and the hungry, to be used of you. Give each of us this week an opportunity to share the testimony of what you've done in our lives. Thank you for Mary's song. Thank you for what you did for her and what you've done for us. Guide and direct, we pray, in the days and the weeks that are ahead as we approach the Christmas season. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.